Thank you all for being here. I want you to look at Philippians as Paul's thank you note. This is not a letter that he was writing simply because he was looking for some way to while away the day in his imprisonment. This is a letter that he wrote with a specific purpose. It's called the occasion in theological speak, but it was a thank you note. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure that you probably have had cause to write thank you notes before. Notice the way I said this. Did you ever have cause to write thank you notes? I'm not asking you if you actually wrote them. Some people aren't very good at writing them. But I think everybody's had cause to write thank you notes at different times in their lives. I looked up on the internet, how do you write a thank you note? And there are lots of websites on it. And I pulled one that I thought was extremely useful from Postable. And it gives five tips to writing a thank you note. I was comparing the tips on how you write a thank you note today to how Paul wrote his 2,000 years ago. I thought it was an interesting comparison. So here are the five things you need to know to write a thank you note. Number one, start with a salutation like, hello, dear so-and-so. Actually, don't call them so-and-so. Call them by name. Dear Carol, dear, you know, whatever the name is, dear Ken, you, you, you got to use the name. But you start with a salutation. Next, get right to the point and express your thanks. Don't dilly-dally around. Don't bury your lead. Thank you for blah, blah, whatever it is. Number three, mention a specific detail or two so it doesn't look like it's just a form thank you note. By the way, Paul does all three of these so far that we've looked at in the Philippian letter. So, number three, mention a specific detail or two. And then the fourth thing you do is you look ahead. By the way, Paul does that in the Philippian letter. So, you, you dear so-and-so, get to the point, thank you. Mention a specific detail or two. Look ahead. And then fifth and final, Revisit the thank you and then sign off. Paul does all five of these in Philippians. He writes an effective thank you note. It's really kind of cool. So with that, uh, this is going to drive me crazy. Is this bothering anybody else other than me? Uh, I mean, I can use the handheld. Y'all be honest because... Uh, on the internet, if this is bothering you, would you raise your hand, please? So I want us to understand the backstory behind this. If, to, to understand the thank you note, we need to understand the backstory. So here's the backstory. Paul is imprisoned in Rome. Now, depending upon the severity of your crime, there were two basic types of Roman imprisonment. One is physically being within a prison or jail situation. Now, their correctional facilities were not built like ours with gray cinder blocks and iron gates and a commissary kitchen. 
this work? So I won't be as expressive, but I'll, I'll double up with one hand. So there were two ways to get imprisoned within Rome, within the Roman structure. One would be an actual physical cell, if you will, but their cells were very different. Typically, they were just a hole in the ground with various rooms off of the hole. Sometimes they were built into a, a mountainside or a hillside, but these are not windowed cells. They didn't have restroom facilities. They were often a source of suicide because nobody really wants to live there. You didn't have meals provided to you unless you had friends who would bring you food. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible, I mean, the odor, the bugs, the rodents, the excrement, all of the things that were associated with stagnant air, with no light to speak of, that's option A. Option B was kind of a house arrest. Option B was only available if you could afford to pay the rent. If you could afford to pay the rent in Rome, for example, you could live in one of the Roman slums. Now, the slums, if you were living in one of these under house arrest in a, in a slum house, if you will, not only do you have to pay the rent, you're probably on the third floor because the first floor of, of Roman life in, in the city of Rome was generally reserved for markets and animals, taverns, things like that. Second floor is where the wealthy people live. Third floor, and in some cases fourth floor, are the, the more impoverished. Think about that logically. We think, oh, the penthouses, the great room with a view. They weren't worried about a room with a view. They didn't have an elevator. So they didn't want to be up the top. That's just more stairs to climb. So Paul probably, we know based on this letter and some other indications that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, but he wasn't having to live in this first imprisonment in some dank hole because he was probably going to be released and he wasn't viewed as a dangerous criminal who might escape. He was given the option of a Roman imprisonment within the confines of a basically slum home. And because Paul had the money for that, Paul was able to pay the rent and to be imprisoned in that way. A world of difference. But Paul's imprisonment would not allow him to go out and do his tent-making work, which is how he supported himself. So Paul's in a situation where he's very reliant for the first time in, that we know of in some ways upon the contributions of the churches and the saints. By the way, if you understand this concept of imprisonment, you also understand why it was so important within the teachings of Jesus that we visit people in jail. And that's how they got fed. Someone had to bring Paul food. So 
with that kind of a backstory, you understand the significance that the Philippians had provided Paul with some very important help. I'm not saying Paul wouldn't have been okay without it. God would provide and Paul had learned to be okay whether in abundance or whether in absolute need. But on a practical matter basis, like you and I would know, this, this made a world of difference in Paul's life. And we can't escape that. Because only as we understand the full difference it makes do we greatly appreciate that Paul wrote a thank you note. That the thank you was not just something he stuck on at the end of the letter. Oh, by the way, thanks for sending Epaphroditus with your gift. I didn't really need it. I would be okay without it. The scholars who look at the letter and see that aren't really reading the letter carefully enough in my mind and haven't done enough homework on what Roman imprisonment was. But Paul desperately needed that help from human terms. And so Paul got it, and Paul was quick to write this thank you note. So I want to look at it in three different lights. First of all, this is a bit peculiar as a thank you note, which is kind of Paul. I mean, Paul just never quite did things the way I would. And, and, and he had such an attitude of transcendent grace that is really magnificent. So I want us to look first at the peculiarness of this. Second, I want us to look at features that Paul has of a prayer that he, he offers or at least speaks of in these first few verses of Philippians 1. And then third, let's look at his reasons for gratitude. Now, we're going to go through this as best as we can. I want to warn you now. I tend to love just going through this bit by bit, inch by inch. It's my personality. It's also my druthers. And as one of my daughters said to me this morning at a magnificent Father's Day breakfast, Dad, usually we learn Philippians in two classes, maybe three how long are you going to take? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I can probably do it within two or three years. And so uh, I, I'm just going to go slow. I want us, I want you, you to it, appreciate the nuanced um, teaching that comes from digesting this bit by bit. And, and if that bores you, then, then, Thank you for sitting there and being bored because I'd still teach if it was just me. But having you all out there makes it a little bit more fun. Um, uh, I, I will tell you I got a great email and shout out to our Internet team, Janet and, and all your people. Shout out to the camera people. Shout out to the booth. Shout out to everybody. I uh, got a great email from the Philippines uh, of a fellow who's using this in his teaching in the Philippines right now. And another email from someone internationally who just really appreciated the Galatian series that went into such careful depth. So that kind of feeds the, the, the tiger in me that likes to nerd out. So y'all can just nerd out with me. Let's start by the peculiar nature of Paul here and Paul's thank you note. Now my thank you note to you would be, hey, dear Diane, 
thank you so much for blah, 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 okay? But here's Paul's, whoops. Uh, Paul starts out, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So Paul's thank you note starts out thanking God. And I really like that. You would expect Paul to say, Philippians, thank you, first and foremost. But no, Paul goes right to the real source. And you know, when Paul thanks God like this, number one, the, the Philippians, I hope, are appreciative because they've just been informed that God has used them for his good works. Could there be any greater joy in this life than to feel like God used you for his good works? That he chose you as his vessel for something good. You know, we know the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Sherry Sanford, are you here today? I don't see Dr. Sherry or I'd make her get up here and sing it for you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I, this is a concept that's clearly in Paul's mind. So Paul's thank you note isn't one that should make the Philippians boastful and proud of what they've done. It's one that should sow within the Philippians' heart an attitude of humility that they could be used by God. And they can join Paul in thanking God for that chance. We got so many ways this church gets used. So many ways the, the campus gets used. So many programs. We've got the kids, VBS. Uh, we, we've got uh, camps this summer. And I love the fact that Pastor Jarrett could get up last Sunday and say, if there's a kid in here who needs to be in who every kid needs to be in camp. If there's a kid in here who can't because of money, just tell us. We'll make sure you've got the money. That's what we, we give for. And it's such a marvelous thing that we can, we can give and know that we're being used by God for things that maybe we don't even know about, but are there. And I love that. I love the fact, especially here on Father's Day, that every good gift, posidosis, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights. Now, I doubt that David Capes, Dr. Capes, when we're, you're, you're a Greek professor, Professor Capes, I doubt that he'll get to this part in, in the summer series of Greek but there's something really cool about this word pos. Pos, pasa, pon. Pos is, is the word that, that can mean every or all. And typically, which means in classical Greek almost all the time, in biblical Greek there may be one or two exceptions. But typically when this word pasa it's that first Greek word I've got there. It's got the pi and the alpha, and then it looks like an O with a, someone kind of took it out a little too far. That's actually the S, the sigma, and then the A again. When that word is 
coupled to a noun, it means generally each one individually, every one of them. So every individual gift. Now, if they stick the word the in there in the middle, it means the whole picture. We'll get to that later because we see that here. But every particular good gift, each one, each one, without exception, each one, each one that's, that's a, a perfect gift, each one is from above. If you get a good gift, I got a great Father's Day gift this morning. My daughters prepared for me two, not one, Two turkey corn dogs. You can only get those at Trader Joe's. But you put them in an air fryer. They're 150 calories a piece. And I don't know why I'm telling you this because I think I'm the only one who buys them. And now I'm going to go and it's going to be sold out. But I'm telling you, it's pretty good. So what do I do? Do I say thank you to my daughters for preparing that wonderful Father's Day feast? Well, yes. Do I say thank you to Trader Joe's for making a corn dog out of a turkey wiener? Yes. Do I say thank you to my wife, or actually I think these Rebecca, for driving all the way to the woodlands to Trader Joe's to get them? Yes. But before I ate them, I said, thank you, God, for this food. Because praise God from whom all blessings flow. And every good gift, even turkey corn dogs, and every perfect gift, which is a turkey corn dog cooked in an air fryer, so it's crispy, every one of those is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And I love that. I love this idea. And so... Even hard times and difficulties are good gifts when they come, in the sense, under the care of God. Remember Genesis 50? Some of you may actually say, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. The rest of you may remember the story. It's about Joseph and his brothers come to him. And this is after they thought about killing him, decided not to kill him, just to sell him into slavery and get rid of him forever. And then ultimately, he's, uh, Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he spurns the advances of Potiphar's wife, and he gets put in prison. And then uh, he gets forgotten by the people who were supposed to help him get out of prison. But ultimately, he gets out, he becomes Pharaoh's right hand, he saves the nation of Egypt, and, and countless others who come to Egypt for their, their grain during a bad time of famine. And then the brothers come back, and they realize they need Joseph's favor, and that Joseph is now in a position to get his revenge. And here's what Joseph says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, Latova. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So even what bad things happen to people, God uses for good. Shameless plug, tomorrow's uh, video thought for the day. Uh, I, I'm 
think will be about the crown of life in James 1.12-ish. But it's something that is given in, a, uh, in that passage for those who steadfastly endure the trials of life. And James says that they're blessed. Makarios in the Greek. They're blessed. I mean, God gives us every good gift. So Paul's thank you note is a bit peculiar because it starts out thanking God. All right, second point. Paul sp speaks of prayer here in a way that's got four features. At least I'm isolating it as four. So here are features, not features or. That should say features, features four. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We don't like typos. Okay. Shall we pray? No. All right. So here are, ah. Yes, God means this for good. So here's, here's uh, what we're going to do. We're going to go right there. How about that? Features four, Paul's prayer. Let's look at these four features, okay? Four features for Paul's prayer. Feature number one, Paul's always thankful in this prayer. Always thankful. A prayer that's always thankful. He starts it out, I thank Eucharisto, Eucharisto, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God. It's all thankful here. And I really, really like this. And he says, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. So I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But always in every prayer of mine for you. Look at this now. Always. Always is, is again, the same word. Uh, combined actually with another word, but but the same root of pon, same all, but here always is a reference back to something. So let's put it up here this way. Ah, see, I got to stay close. Always pontote pontote means at all times. Okay, so. Does he mean that he's praying at all times? No. Though he does say pray without ceasing in other places, but that's not what he's saying here. But this idea of at all times is still present in this. And you can see the way Paul uses that pontote word if you look at passages like 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll just give you one or two of these, but I'll list the others so that you can look at them later. But this becomes more of a challenge. First. Corinthians 15, 58, holding a mic and doing this. So let's see if we can do this. Paul says, 
Therefore, my beloved brothers, and again, that's a generic in the Greek. It includes sisters. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Pantote. Always, always, at all times abounding in the work of the Lord. And it's not just there. You can get another idea of Paul's usage in 2 Corinthians 2.14. If you're taking notes, go look at it later. And even in Matthew 26, Jesus uses it that way when he says, you'll always have the poor with you. Matthew 26.11. And so always means always. But within the framework of this, it means something not that he's praying always. It means it, it goes back to Eucharisto. It goes back to I thank. He means I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. So always in my prayer, I'm thanking God for you. This is something that's always in his prayers for them. He's always thanking God. And, and this is the idea of, of what he said. Every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. Isn't that more than just a thank you note? That's a, I thank God, but every time I pray to him, I'm thanking him for you. See, Paul sees the source of the gift is God, but knows the vessel of the gift are the Philippians. So he's able to say, I thank the source, I thank God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But every time I'm praying for, about that, I'm thanking him for you. I'm saying, thank you, God, for these people. And so within the framework of that, let's look at a second aspect of Paul's prayer here. Each piece of the church is being prayed for by Paul. Each member, each person. And this goes back to that idea I was telling you about the way the Greek works with, with, with pas. In every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Huper panton hemon. Hemon. You've got that word that says each or every, and it's followed with the, the, the noun, you, y'all. And when it's done that way without sticking the word the in the middle, it means the whole ball of, uh, I mean, each and every one of you individually, but all of you. This becomes important in this letter because a little later on, Paul's going to scold two of the women who are having trouble getting along, Yodia and Syntyche. But he doesn't even get remotely to scolding them, and it's a light scolding, without first saying, I'm praying for each one, and I'm thanking God for each one of you individually. Each of you, in every prayer of mine, for each one of you. So this also means that Paul's praying for them with thanksgiving for them. And I really like this. So if you're wanting to pick this Greek concept up, all, when you don't have an article, the word the, a definite article, 
means each one, each one. If you've got all, I should have quotation marks there, with an article and then a noun, it means all of you put together in a collective whole. The emphasis is a little different. So within the framework of this, Paul says, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, for each one of you, always in every prayer for you, at all times when I pray for you. So now we get it this way. Every time I pray for you, I thank God for each one of you. It's not just I thank God for you. God, thank you for Champion Forest Baptist Church Biblical Literacy Life Group. I mean, Paul would be, thank you for you. God, thank you for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. He's in prison. He's got a lot of time on his hands. For you, for you, for you. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's doing here. And I really like it because even while two of the ladies are kind of fussing and not getting along, and if generally two people aren't getting along, that means it's not just those two because some people will see one person's side and some people will see the other person's side, and pretty soon it can become a bigger thing than it is. And you know how she is. Well, yeah, but you know how she is. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul is praying for each one of them because prayer is this amazing thing that transcends the barriers that divide people. I can't be praying for you individually if I've got an issue with you without it a helping me through that issue. You got somebody you got issues with? Pray for them. Pray over them. But pray thanks to God and find those things to be thankful for. It's amazing. All right, so those are two of the features. What's the third feature? Paul's praying for specific needs. It's not just Thank you, God, for you and you and you and you. But there are specific needs that Paul prays for. Look, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, in the New Testament, you'll typically see two different word groups for praying and prayer. Here you've got deasis, which is an emphasis on an urgent request to meet a specific need. It's, it's, um, it's not just the generic word for pray. It's not just the generic idea of prayer. It's used 36 times in the New Testament. And it's a reference generally to this really specific need. Let me give you a couple of examples. Luke 1.13 is a great one. Luke 1.13 uses the asis for prayer. Luke 1.13. This is fun doing this with one hand. All right, 1.13. This is before the birth of John the Baptist. And... and You've got uh, uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, serving as priest before God. And the whole multitude of the people are praying outside. And Zechariah was troubled when he sees an angel. And the angel says to him, whoops. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your deasis, 
your prayer, your specific request, your urgent need of your wife to have a baby, it's been heard. This urgent need has been heard. And again, Luke 2.37, same concept. Talking about an Old Testament story and says she was advanced in years having lived with her husband for seven years when she was a virgin and then as a widow till she was 84. She didn't depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer. Deasis, urgent need, prayer. And, and that is the word that Paul's using here. Paul says every prayer for specific requests, for urgent needs. Every prayer that I do, that God will do something specific for you in your life. That's it. And Paul rightly seeks God's help with specific needs. When you get a prayer request, you don't need to just say, God bless them. But pray specifically for the need. Let your energy... Your commitment, your desire be channeled before the Father for His power to make a change in a specific way. Say, well, God's God. He doesn't need me to do that. God has created a world where you have that ability to invoke His strength, His name, who He is. And to make changes. He didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and say, hey, have a good time. I'll take care of everything. He said, you need to work it. You need to tend to it. You need to till it. You need to protect it. You need to understand it. That's your job. And just because they fell doesn't mean their job's not their job anymore. It just means it's going to be a whole lot tougher to do. But God still expects us to do those things. He just says, don't do it alone. Do it by my power. Ask me to help and I will. But human beings have an immense amount, not just of dignity, but an immense amount of responsibility. One of our class members sent me a poll that talked about how few young people have a Christian worldview now. I mean, like, single digits few in America. And I wonder at times if it's not because we, the older generation, have gotten a little confused in what we're teaching the younger generation is of seminal, core, foundational importance. It's, this is, is my complaint when we get off mission. Because the world will start associating Christianity with something else. And that's not right. So it's good. Let people know. It's good that humans have dignity and they have, they have not just responsibility from God and authority from God. But we can make a difference by the grace of God and the power of God as we pray for God to work. And that's what Paul says here he's doing. So Paul's always thankful for each one of them. And he's praying for their specific needs. 
And then the fourth feature of his prayer is he's doing all of this with joy. Go back to the passage. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Metakaras, with joy. Now, Paul is going to use the word joy a lot in this letter, which is in itself quite rare for someone in prison to, to be so filled with joy. But this is laying the groundwork for what we're going to understand. And I love this because Paul will echo this later. Paul will say, you know, you folks in Philippi, don't be worried about things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And by the way, prayer there, he'll use the same word, deasis. Deasis, yeah. He'll use the same word, not prosecco, prosecco the the other kind of generic prayer word, but but he will say, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You put your urgent requests in front of God, and you don't need to worry. You'll have God's peace, and you can do it with thanksgiving. You can do it with joy because God is faithful. You say, yeah, but what if he doesn't come through? He's coming through. Yeah, well, I've prayed before and he didn't come through. He didn't come through the way you wanted him to. He'll come through the way you need him to. So, well, I don't want him to come through the way I need him to. I want him to come through the way I want him to. And if he's not going to, then I'm going to have to do it myself. No, that's not walking by faith. Walking by faith says, even when he doesn't do it the way I want him to, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to stay steadfast. But it doesn't stop us from setting our requests and specific needs in front of him. We've just got to have the grace and mercy when he doesn't answer them. To say, not my will, but thine be done. To recognize that this is still a fallen world. And that the redemption comes in the parousia. It comes with the coming of Christ. It's not here yet. The final redemption. We live in that strange now and not yet time. So within the framework of that, those are that's the peculiar thank you, the features of his prayer. And now we need to get to his reasons for gratitude. And I'm going to geek out a little bit on you here, but I've been sowing the seeds for it, so that's okay. Here it is. Getting a running start. Paul gives three reasons why he's grateful for them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Epi, passe, te menei, some people don't pronounce that, menia, hemon. Now, the translators are in a bit of a quandary here because this Greek can be translated two different ways. I've put the English Standard Version up here. The NIV is not that very different. The New American Standard is not that very different. In fact, very few of them are that very different. Uh, 
because the King James isn't that very different, and nobody wants to change a verse that's so well known. And I'm not a a Greek scholar. I've made that plain to y'all. But in my 40 years of reading Greek and in considerable amount of study on this passage and reading through many, many experts, I don't think that's the best translation of the passage. Look at it in some detail. In all my remembrance of you, Epi is the word that's translated here in, can mean in, can mean upon, can mean on, but it's also got very much a causative meaning at times, because of. So I thank my God because of, and now you've got memory of you. Now, does Paul mean Paul's memory of them are there remembering Paul? That's the choice the translators have to make. And I think that Paul's actually talking here and saying, I thank my God upon all of y'all remembering me. This is his direct thank you. Get straight to the point. I thank God that you all remembered me. And all, I thank my God in all the memory of you. He doesn't say all my memory of you. The word my is not there for that. The word my, mu, here goes to God. I thank my God upon all the memories of you. So, and and by the way, this is that same word all we've been talking about, and now it's got the word the in the middle, because Paul doesn't mean each time you remembered me. He's talking about the big gift. He's talking about the big memory, all of you, that, that, that total memory you had of me, that you remembered me, that you sent me that. I thank God at, at, at this memory that you had of me, at your gift. Paul is expressing his gratitude for the financial gift here. So that's the first reason he's thankful to God. Look at it this way. I thank my God, one, In all you're remembering me. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And then next, let me get closer. We've got another epi construction. Same thing. Always in every prayer with joy because of your koinonia, your partnership. Same construction. It's talking about not my fellowship with you. It's talking about your partnership with me. Paul says, I'm thankful because you remembered the gift and sent me, remembered me with that amazing gift. I'm also thankful because you've partnered in the gospel with me. We've shared in the gospel together. 
when they were supporting Paul, they were supporting God's work. It's something more than just trying to make Paul's life livable. It's, 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 you know, Paul will make it known that even among the Praetorian Guard, the people who are, that God's moving hearts and minds and his, his mission is going. And they've got a part in it. Uh, for Koinonia, I've used the, the concept of aspen trees because if you ever go um, to the Rockies and you see aspen groves, groves are connected by a common root system. And on one mountainside, you may have three different groves. I mean, thousands of trees. But you'll have three different groves. And you can tell how many different groves you've got, how many different independent root systems, by how the leaves are changing. Because all of one root system will change at the same time. But you can have right next to it a separate root system, and that grove will change days later or slight color variations later or earlier. And so you can see that common root system. And, and that's the koinonia concept, that we've got this common root system that nourishes each other. By the way, you poison one aspen tree, it can wipe out the whole grove because they've got a common root system. So Paul recognizes a beauty of this true community. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the gift that you remembered me. But thank you also because we're fellowshipping together. We've got in common this work. What I'm doing, when you have funded and taken care of me, you're doing too. You hear what happens at, at VBS. You hear about these kids giving their lives to the Lord. And you need to know that, that that's you. When you give to our, our common work here. As we give, that's part of us. When you come here to class and you sit here and you encourage me by being here, because you do, it's a huge encouragement to me. And, and, and those of you I know by name, I look out and I just see with affection in my heart. Those of you I don't know by name, I still look out and see with affection in my heart because I see you here. So any good that comes from this... Anybody who's watching this on the internet who says, wow, this is, this is maybe interesting. This is changing my life. I want to pay attention. Any of that, you're sharing in it just by being a part of this. And there's a true beauty in that. And so Paul's thankful and joyfully thankful at all times in his prayers with all of them. Because not only they remembered him, but also because there's a true community here. And then the third reason is, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we've got here a participle. Participles in the Greek are like happen all the time, and there are lots of they're they're defining generally a, a noun or another circumstance or a situation. But this would be what we were taught at least was a causal 
participle. In other words, this is a third cause, a third reason. He doesn't use epi here, but it's still a third reason he's thankful. He's thankful because the God who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this brings it back around. This encapsulates this whole prayerful process. Paul is saying, look, I want to thank God for what you gave to me. I'm, I, 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 and all of my prayers have joy. They're for each one of you because you have remembered me. Because you've shared in the gospel with me. And because I'm confident that the God who has started this great work in you is going to bring it to completion. So, I love projects. And I can dream up projects like nobody's business. Mom, I got this from you. Mom loves a good project. When we were growing up, there were days, I don't know that I've ever told you this, Mom, there are days where Dad and I had to just leave the house because you were in project mode. <laughs> Dad would say to me, Mark, come on, it's time for us to leave. Where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. Mom is project queen. If you have nothing going on in your life, you can rent my mom for an hour. And you will have more to do than you can do. But I got the gene from her. I'm really good at seeing things that are projects. Haven't you come to my backyard? It's just a conglomeration of projects. The problem is, I get these brilliant ideas, and I get everything ready. Like, oh, my garden was going to be tremendous this year. Do you want to know how good my garden was going to be? I got overalls. I'm talking Farmer John overalls, okay? I'm talking wear the T-shirt, strap them on, overalls. And I can put them on. I've got mud boots. And I can go out in my garden in my Farmer John overalls and my mud boots, and I can see 30 things to do. And I might get one of them done before I decide it's hot. I'm going back inside to read Greek. I've got a list of projects. I just don't have the follow-through all the time. Paul says, you're God's project. Each one of you are God's project. And Paul is persuaded. Paul is confident that he, that's the, uh, the beginning there, the pepoithos, that's a persuasive confidence, the way it's used there. He's confident, certain, that God who started a good project in those people is going to finish it. It's going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. I don't have time to get into this in great detail, but there is gold in them their hills of what's being said here. And so we'll probably pick up a little bit with that next week. 
But suffice it to say this, right now, look at your life. I don't care how young you are, JC. I don't care how old you are, Davis. Look at your life and say, here's some things where I'm not what I'd like to be. Just, I'm not measuring up. And maybe some of them are just shortcomings. Maybe some of them are horrendous ruts that you've just been stuck in for a long time. Here's Paul's confidence. God's not finished. God's work is to bring it to completion. Now, that doesn't mean we don't play a part. That doesn't mean we kick our shoes off and say, yeehaw, I can do whatever I want. God will fix it. No. Because some of the ways God fixes it is by bringing you to your knees so that you'll address it. You know, my dad, Father's Day, used to say, you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Now, Mel said that too, didn't you? We can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way, but we're going to do it. And God's got that kind of attitude with us sometimes. You want to do this the easy way or the hard way? And I'm all for the easy way. I've had him treat me in, in, in ways that have taught me the hard way, and it's my own doing. The easy way is so much better. I'll never forget when I was young, the one time, Mom, I'm sorry I just keep coming back to you. I can't help it. Mom and Dad um, corrected me for something, disciplined me for something, and they were wrong. And, and it's the first time I ever realized my parents could be wrong in something. And I thought, well, they're just wrong on this. I thought, but they do love me, and they're trying real hard. So that's okay. I'll live through this. And I went through it. And I learned something there from God the Father. And that there are easy ways to learn stuff. There are hard ways. If instead I'd have had a rebellious attitude, my parents are wrong, I'm going to rebel, I'll show them, blah, 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 blah. God's still going to bring me around, but it would have been a harder road. All right, I'm out of time. So we'll come back to that next week and talk about it some, but here are your points to ponder. Number one, let's thank God in everything. I thank my God. I want to be thankful to Him, even in the hard times, even with the trials and tribulations. I want to thank Him. I may not like the trial. I may not say, oh, God, thank you that I'm miserable. But I can thank Him for the crown of life that's coming at the end. I can thank Him for being with me in the travails. I can thank Him. He may not spare me from the fiery furnace, but I can thank Him for walking through it with me. Number two, let's pray specifically. Let's deasis together. Let's pray for specific needs. And watch God work. And number three, let's find that community. It's really hard in a big church. Find people in this class. Find people in this church. Find people in your life that share your conviction for the Lord and figure out how to get your roots connected with each other. It's so important, and it may just start out by you just saying to somebody on the way out of here, hey, God bless you. What's your name again? You and I sit near each other all the time, and I'm just not sure I remember your name right. 
okay? Let me bless you, and, and uh, I don't, I'm not going to be able to visit after class after that wonderful promo of Let's Talk, um, but I'll see you next week. Lord, in the name of Jesus, with gratitude in my heart to you for the blessing of each person here, I ask you to meet their specific needs and let them see that you are at work in their life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.